Everybody, Cable Smith, welcoming each and every one of you into episode 52 of Justified Pursuit. Great to be here, and it's great to have my good friend, the counselor, Chisholm Cook, here as always. How are you doing today, my friend? Oh, not too bad, man. Uh, it was a busy weekend. Ash had uh, weddings Saturday and Sunday, so mm-hmm. I was on uh, four by one. Uh, zone defense duty all weekend. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> real all your kids can wipe their own butts now, though, right? Yeah, I mean, my five-year-old probably still needs a hand, but yeah, the rest of them wipe their own butts, so that's good. To make their own cereal. And can the older ones <clears throat> feed cereal to the youngest one? Because this is when you've really got it made as a parent. They are willing and able well willing maybe a strong term but able to help quite a bit and when dad's on duty you can bet your ass they're expected to <laughs> okay right on yeah real quick <laughs> before i ask you how your weekend and everything was uh so she shot this wedding yesterday and she's been telling me about it or she shot it on sunday i mean uh the bride was noticeably drunk when she and the other photographer got there which anybody who's been married probably knows that the photographers get there like when you're still getting dressed to take pictures of the yeah bride's party and groom's party right so she's already drunk at that point she uh is seen pounding a shot and taking swigs off multiple champagne bottles as she walks from like down this long hallway from like the room where she was getting dressed to <laughs> she's just grabbing bottles of champagne off a table and just like taking double pulls uh. off of each one as she walks to the aisle as she gets ready to walk the aisle mm. uh falls down into a thing of candles and almost catches herself on fire and then um was guarding the bathroom door to the bride suite while her soon-to-be husband and one of her bridesmaids were bump banging some lines away and got caught by the uh by the wedding planner <laughs> Wow. <laughs> it was... Uh, At first, I was going to say, she either has a real bad drinking problem or she's really not sure about these vows she's about to take. I'm pretty it sure like, it sounds like both. It, it definitely sounds like she has a drinking issue and it definitely sounds like she felt the need to numb whatever she was getting into. Yeah. I should clarify banging lines away. What I meant was, yeah, everybody knows. They were doing blow in the bathroom. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was. Um, I didn't want to make it sound as though he was banging the bridesmaid, <clears throat> but uh, hey, you never know when that. Well, he's got his issues too. Drugs, right. yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a match made in heaven. Oh like. man, yeah, it sounds uh, like a. So they, they shut it down like ninety minutes early. Mm. So, yeah. Well, when the bride can't stand up anymore, it's time for everyone to go. Yeah, she was explaining how they had this like just gorgeous setup with this like pathway from like one structure to another and these like lights that like like five strings of lights that all met on the one end and they were all excited to get a picture of him like dipping her at the end of the last dance in this perfect way and then she almost catches herself on fire they're like screw it (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I'm not going to say we didn't <laughs> all take a shot before, you know. Oh, dude, a little bit. Got yeah, bad, but, loosen up. But yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Like stumbling drunk is a whole different animal. Uh -huh. She said that, you know, the, 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 as the bride gets ready to walk the aisle, there's always this moment where the wedding planner usually gets behind and is like fixing the train, right? And um, she's like, it's kind of frustrating because you want to get this shot right as she takes off and there's always a hand in the way or, you know, a little head sticking out from the side. She's like, the bride just takes off and like almost tugs the lady over. And she look, just looks at Ashley and just she says, ah, fuck it. <laughs> Literally just <laughs> pops an F-bomb as she walks off. Uh, all right. I'm going to try to make it through the whole show with no F-bombs today. Uh, That'll be my I went, last. That, I went that to was, church yesterday. Was it yep. wasn't really the message that I was looking for, though, from as far hmm. as the sermon. It was the annual... We need your give, money. Give us money. Yeah. Yeah. You'll Which they have money. to do every year to keep everyone in line. And then also, yeah, maybe I did need to hear it because it's like, okay, am I really giving 10% or whatever? Um, and then he's like, you know, this was a tough year for everyone. The last 18, 22 months, whatever we're at. He's like, it's been rough and we've kept the doors open. And he's like, you know, if you're not giving 10%, maybe just make a one-time gift because we, you know, the church could use it. You know, we're going to be okay, but we're like, $300,000 short of our budget goal for this year. So anyway, those are always the fun, the sermons that you can expect one time a year. Um, we got it yesterday. Yeah. And when you haven't been for a while, that's not the one you want to pop into, I guess. Right. right. <laughs> I was like looking for something real uh, motivating. Like what can I take and run with for the next week of my life? And uh, give me your money, wasn't it? Coming up, coming up with your ten percent of tithing is not <laughs> not exactly what you. Oh, you should, uh, yeah, yeah. Make that a uh, use that as a focus to save some money so you can give it to the Lord. That's right. That's right. I, when we moved to the Woodlands, uh, that was really when I was feeling the calling to get back into church, uh, get the kids into church and everything. And so I went to the huge mega church that is the Woodlands Methodist Church, which is a great church, great staff. Um, but we, I, I went actually by myself cause I think, you know, we had like a four and a two year old at home at the time. And, uh, that particular service was exactly what you're describing. Like my first time going to church in the woodlands and I walk into this, you know, pallet palatial, you know, complex. And they're like, yeah, we've got a, I think it was a $20 million, uh, building fund that they were trying to raise. And it was the kickoff for that. Right. So yeah. Hey, we're going to try to raise. 20 million to build this new family center slash uh school i go back the next weekend and that was the only service i ever attended where they blatantly asked for money uh -huh. i go back the next weekend just to give people an idea of what the woodlands is all about and they were celebrating the fact that they were only now two million shy <laughs> week they had raised 18 not knowing like what had maybe already been committed by week one or you know by the time they first uh -huh. rolled it out but yeah, thankfully I didn't didn't turn me off and just keep me from going. In fact, they got that thing built and our kids uh, went to preschool there. So, yeah, anyway. yeah, well, eighteen million in a week. At the end of the day, church churches are a business. You know, they have to keep their doors open. Right. It's a. It is what it is. Um. So, what all do you have on the uh, docket for today? I I want to start with one funny thing that stood out for me in the uh in the news here and i you you probably saw it um or heard it anyway but it's just pure idiotic uh stuff coming out of the white house and 
Shinsaki as always. Uh, so here we go. Yep. That he uh, did drive through the border when he was on the campaign trail in 2008. And he is certainly familiar with the fact, and it stuck with him, with the fact that uh, in El Paso, uh, the border goes right through the center of town. But what the most important thing uh, everyone should know and understand is that the president has worked on these issues throughout his entire career and is well-versed in every aspect of our immigration system, including the border. That includes when he was vice president and he went to Mexico and Central America 10 times to address border issues and talk about what we can do to reduce the number of migrants who are coming to the border. Okay, so uh, a lot of stuff right there. Uh, one time I went to the Dominican Republic in seventh grade, Chisholm. Mm-hmm. Just, I went there on a mission trip. Um, I guess I'm an expert on the Dominican Republic. Clearly. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. You've got the, the plan to cure everything that might be wrong there. Yeah. Have you seen the latest photos of the caravans marching towards the border? It's getting worse. Sure. It's already a nightmare. Uh, but just as, oh, and then she goes on, and this is all, of course, asked by, um, what's his name? Ducey, the Fox mm-hmm. reporter. The only one that ever asked a legit question in that press room. Um, and then she, she responded, well, you know, he doesn't need to go to the border in order to know that there's a lot to do as far as cleaning up the mess from the last minute administration. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah 2008 nobody's dude. buying 13, that 13 years ago he went to the border but he doesn't need to go because he knows that trump left a mess there but we can say one thing is and as someone who grew up in south texas the border was the security was better under the trump administration than it has been in any time in like i'd say the last 20 years um there was a there was a mentality of hey we're not messing around you know and people yeah 100 percent it wasn't like people were afraid. It's not like we're shooting people as they're trying to cross the border. Of course not. But people weren't trying to come across because they knew where they were going to get caught or deported. So, yeah, well, he also had managed to work out an agreement with Mexico where Mexico would help stop these people in or out through their country because most of them are coming from south of Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. He worked out a deal with Mexico where he was like, hey, you know, we sure have a great trade relationship that really benefits your economy, you know, building cars there and all this sort of stuff. So, uh, you want to keep some form of NAFTA going forward and, uh, you know, keep up this economic windfall you have by being our neighbors. How about you help us out with this? And they did, yeah. you know, and just, uh, like in the last two weeks, Biden formally re-implemented two major Trump era policies on this stuff. I don't remember the exact specifics, but, yeah. um, one of them was that, um, I can't remember what they call it, but this deal they had with Mexico and the other one was. I don't know. Biden's bringing back Trump policies on on the border. He's a more dude. I don't. It's not oh, even wait, wait, but but Trump's the one that left the mess there. But now we're bringing his policy back. <laughs> you know, I was thinking while I was listening what in to the her. What's going on here? I was thinking while I was listening to her how demoralizing it must be to try to go on television every day and defend this senile old man uh, and just spin and all that. But you know, yeah, clearly she doesn't have a you know, a stitch of ethics or morality to her. And, no. you know, I don't think you can be White House press secretary if you do, being perfectly fair. They're all full of crap. Um, but, you know, you can go a good ways back, probably about a year ago, we had a, a discussion about whether Chris Wallace from Fox News was being legitimate in his questioning 
excuse me, in moderation of the uh, debate between Trump and Biden. And I took the side that he was playing sort of this sort of covert. Uh, he was letting Trump speak and he, you know, he was asking questions that were tough. And I, he has supposedly quoted, been quoted over the weekend as saying that Saki is the greatest press secretary of all time. I haven't read the context to see where the hell he came up with that. Maybe what he said was um, nobody has been able to bull face stone cold lie and spin better than her. Mm. But I don't think that's what he was getting at. Um, so you might have been right about Chris Wallace all along. That he's just. Um, he's like in the same category as Chief Justice Roberts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, I will uh, say he's never claimed to be a conservative newsman. He's, you know, just claims to be a down the middle newsman, but he certainly doesn't seem to be too down the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there's your, uh, your border update. Um, but yeah, he doesn't have any plans on going. That's cool. Why? It's not like we need him. You know, that's the crazy thing is you look around the rest of the world and it doesn't matter if it's a first world country or third world country. They have secure borders. That's what makes a country a country is a sense of nationalism and, and actually having a secure border. You don't let people into your country undocumented. Uh, no country does that. So unless you're the most powerful country in the world, then it's like, hey, we don't care. Come on. We'll invite you. And also, here's the other thing. And people, I've heard certainly conservatives mention this, but if we're trying to fight this war on COVID, why are we letting all these people in? They're not getting tested. They're just letting them in. So clearly you don't yeah, care about it dude. that much, dude. Like, no, so they don't. That's the they thing don't. that keeps sticking out to me is like uh, rules for us, but for all these illegals, like they don't get COVID because they're Mexican or South American. They're immune to COVID. So we don't worry about it. Yeah, dude. Squad member Rashida Tlaib the other day got caught on camera saying she has to wear the mask because there's a Republican operative in the crowd. Yeah. And they laughed about it. Like, it's all fake, dude. Done. Barack and and uh, Michelle have a six hundred person bash at the very height of of uh, at their new twenty million dollar Martha Vin Martha's Vineyard estate having a sixtieth birthday party or whatever, and at the very height of the Delta variant, and you know nobody there's got masks on except for the freaking wait staff. Same thing with that uh, Met Met Gala deal. They're all full of crap, dude. They're not really worried about this one bit, not at all. They're probably all on ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine protecting themselves that way, as well as having had their shots. Uh, I do want to update this Chris Wallace thing. It, I was right. It's not as one-sided as it seems. He was actually saying that he was talking specifically about the exchange you were just playing. And he was actually comparing uh, Steve Ducey or Peter Ducey or whichever that guy's name is to, I guess, the great Sam Donaldson, who was a like legendary White House press guy um saying that you know he's as good as that Ducey's the best in the business at that and then that he feels that Saki uh is tough as nails and one of the quote best press secretaries ever and they both gave and got pretty good and you know I'll say this she's on her feet she's on her toes all the time when she's in there she's you know her job is to fill us full of crap and so she does that pretty damn well so he's probably right Maybe she is mm -hmm. one of the best press secretaries of all time. He wasn't patting her on the back and saying she won. He was saying that they both sparred out on a regular basis, and it's if you're on the if you're on the side that has to lie about everything, you're on the losing side. Sorry, 
Well, dude, don't forget that Donald Trump had his first press secretary try to tell us that he had the biggest inauguration of all time. And the photographic aerial footage clearly showed that was bullshit, right? They all lie. All of them. That was a kind of ridiculous and completely unmeaningful lie compared to the lies that she tells on her president, on her boss's behalf. But well, here's a here's a, nothing new here, a reporter that's telling the truth. Uh, CNN's Brian Stelter recently <laughs> said on his program. Did he finally come out? No, 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 oh. no, he didn't. Okay. Uh, he said that they no longer need to cover, you, you know, the ter- term both siderism, which basically means cover each side equally. He said that the the modern Republican Party is no longer worthy of being given a fair shake when it comes to reporting because they're too radicalized so that they, that he, his advice is that they just don't, they don't cover them. I was like, you're not really, you're not even doing that currently, but you want to take it a step further. Well, at least they're coming out and saying it now. That's the, th- the crazy thing. And we've talked about that over the, the course of the show is like, it seems like, you know, that time, the time piece that we referenced where they were like, yeah, we did that. We used social media to influence the election. Oh, we always thought you were, but now you're just telling us. And now this guy's just coming out and saying, hey, we no longer feel like we even have to give the Republicans a fair shake. Yeah, well, I mean, that guy's an absolute joke, right? A joke. His job is supposed to be to host a show that's a media watchdog show. And all it really is is bad, bad, bad Fox. Trump's bad, Trump's bad. CNN can do no wrong. Barry Weiss, former editor of the New York Times, who we've already mentioned before, was on with him over the weekend, or maybe it was the weekend prior, and ripped him a new bunghole over their just constant lies and spins, and the media's spin in general. Rogan is after that SOB's ass. I wanted to make sure to mention he had... um, Who was he talking to? He was talking to somebody last week. And, you know, we, we, we've covered his his conversation with uh, CNN's son, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, right? Mm. So brief recap, Rogan took Sanjay to school on CNN's ridiculous coverage of his ivermectin as horse paste and, you know, promoting, giving these shots to kids. And, you know, he really worked them over pretty good, but, you know, and then, you know, two or three clips from a three and a half hour conversation went like super viral um, and then immediately Joe started putting out like on Instagram and Twitter and stuff that, and he said it on the show since that he just, he loves Sanjay. He's a great guy. He really, really likes him. They had a really great talk and these clips were just a small piece of a very big conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they were the like, most important clips. So, well, so it's funny. You can tell what's going on. Sanjay Gupta probably is a really good dude, right? Um, he's getting paid to do a job. Joe has threatened on multiple occasions now to sue them over the way they covered his getting COVID back in Mm -hmm. August, I guess, and lying that he was taking horse drugs and all that stuff, which Don Lemon doubled down on, which Don Lemon doubled down on. So right about the time Joe's out there defending Sanjay and telling everybody to sort of simmer down like that night, he goes on with Lemon and yeah, Lemon says we weren't lying. It is a horse drug. Forget about the fact that they clearly pointed out that it won a Nobel Prize for its treatment of humans. Forget about the fact that Joe's doctor prescribed it for him. Not a veterinarian. He didn't buy it at Tractor Supply. 
That's right. And also forget about the fact that everything from Tylenol to Valium is prescribed to animals and humans. So just because this particular thing is prescribed in the agricultural world doesn't really make it any of that difference than we're all mammals, man. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, more recently, oh, I know who it was. They had this guy named Michael Malice on who we should talk about sometime, but he's like this brilliant uh kid who's or guy this guy who's his family moved here from russia in the early 80s and he's extraordinarily well read and thoughtful and insightful and but he's an anarchist he really believes that that politics are irrevocably broken period like governments irrevocably broken all of these power structures we have are irrevocably broken and so he kind of advocates burning it all to the ground um here's my question for someone that has that mindset. What do you replace it with? It's going to be more of the same. I think that, I think that if he was really going to be honest, he would say that somebody needs to take this extreme radical position. The thing is, he's not advocating for any kind of socialist communist crap. He's advocating that the, that, you know, like this multi-trillion dollar bill that they're, touting right now that's supposed to help working class families everybody with a brain knows it's just going to go to to you know these um what do they call it basically you know lobbying groups wall street fat cats etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's all going to end up relining the politicians pockets and the average joe's you know do the math on the 600 stimulus checks for every single american and it was like what a few hundred mm, it would be somewhere around I don't know, a, a billion and they gave out like 1.7 trillion. Well, most of that 1.7 went to, again, already wealthy people. I don't really need to yeah, get my into mom Michael who had her own dental practice applied for the, uh, the small business uh, loans and couldn't get one because all the money was already taken up by major corporations. Right. There when it go. was intended to help the, the, the small person. Somebody like her, 100%. Yeah. Right. And all that aside, Michael Malice's you know desire to burn the world down. My point, my main point is he's extraordinarily well read and really knows what he like. He understands the problems. Maybe you're right. Doesn't have great solutions. That's not what he brings forth. What he brings forth, he's, he's like the greatest troll of all time. So he dogpiled on that terrible Twitter deal or whatever that uh, 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 the guy we talked about last week, the former ESPN guy, um, Overman. Yeah, he went, he's like beating Overman bloody online over that stupid crap, right? Anyway, they, he and Joe are talking about the CNN debacle. And they're playing clips that Joe hadn't even seen yet of uh, Sanjay going on with Aaron Burnett that same day or the next day or something as the lemon thing. And her claiming that the, she says the majority of Joe Rogan viewers and listeners don't know the facts about COVID and he stops. He's like, Whoa, Whoa, what the, where the hell does she get that? Like it it pissed him off. Right. That like, she's Mm. basically claiming him and all of his listeners are dumb. That can't possibly be true because he has astrophysicists and, you know, Dr. Jordan Peterson and some of the most brilliant, you know, evolutionary has got canceled off Twitter for bringing the the facts about COVID to the table. All these people who he talks to for three and a half hours and she's acting like his, you know, that his entire audience is a bunch of, you know, just MMA meatheads or whatever. Right. Right. And, you know, even that would be a shitty sort of uh, 
dispersion because the truth is a lot of MMA guys are actually quite brilliant themselves. They kind of have to be to, to master like multiple disciplines and the chess match that is kicking the shit out of another man in a cage, right? While trying not to get the shit kicked out of you. So anyway. The one that I'm personally friends with does not fall into that category. He I'm not saying all of them. as dumb as a sack of rocks. He doesn't. Okay. Well, I doubt he listens he to a, this show. But Is he a UFC champion? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, no, his yeah. career sparkled and burst into flames. Well, there you go. I mean, to me, to get to the... That's a whole separate conversation. Anyway. Main point is they had... They listened to some things Joe hadn't heard yet. He did acknowledge, so Sanjay the day after writes this op-ed on CNN's website where he described going into the lion's den to go toe-to-toe with this MMA fighter. And he had friends asking him, why are you even doing that? And he says, in the end, I still think it was worth it. And Joe goes, listen, all that stuff, That's he's a socially awkward guy. He basically called him a big dork as politely as he could. But he continues to like, you know, make Sanjay's the good guy. But CNN's kind of still the bad guy. And I don't remember exactly what um man Malice brings up this thing where CNN, there was some guy on Reddit who had posted a meme of Donald Trump when he was playing around in WWE and fighting Vince McMahon. And somebody had superimposed CNN's block logo on Vince McMahon's head. So it was a it was Vince McMahon's body and just a CNN logo head and Trump like clotheslining him and taking him out. And they threatened to sue this guy. And Joe goes, oh, don't tell my lawyers that, man. I'm having to hold them back. They want to go after those sons of bitches so bad they can taste it. And oh, I'm going, wow. let him go, man. Let him go. Uh, I, think, I think the time is quickly coming where uh, that's going to be inevitable because they went so far, apparently, in the last 24 hours again of putting out another uh, like, a, like a press release because he beat him up all week last week on these other other interviews, post Sanjay interviews, where they content they tripled down on never having misstated that you know they, they called him it was just like derogatory, ugly, and completely lacking any sort of self-awareness. Um, they're not backing down an inch. It'll be a tough case because and this is actually something Trump brought up a few years ago, the law in the United States, and this is all through Supreme court case law is that if you're a public figure, you there's a very, very high bar for defamation. Right. Um, or, you know, libel slander, whichever it would be libels in print and slanders like spoken word. But um, if you're a public figure, you have to prove that, that, you know, that the, that the, that the, that CNN lied deliberately with basically malice, like, you know, doing so intentionally to harm oh i would say that they did to discredit him and the idea that hey maybe maybe you don't have to get vaccinated to beat this thing and clearly well, cnn is in bed with big tech and so you know this this is some legal weed stuff right i i would agree with you that they are clearly lying about ivermectin uh misconstruing it at the very least and sanjay actually really helped joe's case because he admitted it he said, yeah, they shouldn't have said that. And then Don Lemon goes and says it again. The question is, how does that defame Joe? Right? How does it hurt Joe one bit if they claim he took a horse medicine um, when they can sort of plausibly say, well, it is prescribed to horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's also prescribed to people. Yeah, but it's also prescribed to horses. That was Lemon's argument, right? It's like, we didn't lie. It's true. It's prescribed to horses. I mean, just the... 
the lack so, so, of in, integrity in today's journalism is astounding. And it's not just CNN. I mean, Fox News is, I'm not going to say they're as bad, but they're bad. You read their stuff and it's just all negative headlines about the left. And then you go CNN and it's all negative headlines about the right. But there is one side that is clearly, I would say, more responsible for the degradation of society than the other. Yeah, well, uh, you know, to me, Fox cherry picks what they report. And that creates their slant for the most part. CNN is just knowingly and deliberately lying. Yeah. I would agree. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't look look at Fox News and say, okay, they're lying about that. You're right. They do. Right. And and it's not for me, at least it's not because of blind allegiance or because I'm agreeing with most of what they're having to say. You know me. I don't pick a side. I follow. I I try to find the truth for myself. And when I read this stuff and and I don't watch the show so much um, as read the headlines. Yeah. The shows. Yeah. I I read their 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 articles and I do feel like by and large, they're kind of calling it down the middle, but they're going to pick the things that speak to their base and their base's interest and kind of ignore the things that are more problematic. Um, anyway, <clears throat> Rogan versus CNN, man, coming to a courtroom near you. I think it's, I just, I got real excited uh, when I, did you see that video I sent you of that? Uh, were, you able, were you able to access it? I found a new app that's supposed to record. Like, you know, you can take grab a screenshot, right? Yeah. I found this new app that will record whatever is on your screen. So, like, if you're watching a video, you can record that video with this app. You don't just have that on an iPhone? You should get an Android. We have that on Androids. Now. I don't. It, it may be there. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. It may be there. I just found the app. But anyway, so you didn't see that video I sent you of him, of, of Rogan's show a couple days ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> I only had two more quick news type things and then wanted to talk a little family stuff for a bit. Okay. I've got one other news. Uh, two. Well, you saw you that Trump is uh, planning his own social media mm-hmm. platform called, I think it's mm-hmm. called Truth, maybe that was called. Yeah. It's, uh, too, it's bad called, we, too bad we weren't able to beat, beat him to it. Huh? Truth Social. In order to stand up to the tyranny of big tech. Sounds great, dude. We've been wanting something like this for a long time. Yeah, don't you wish we could have beat him to it? Yeah. But here's my only concern is does it become a mirror image of what they've done? And now, I mean, you know, Trump's dealt with a lot of stuff. Being He's, he's currently still not even on Twitter. So will it be a heavy-handed pro right-wing platform, which I don't want? My guess is it'll be something of a free-for-all like Parler was. And therefore, it will mostly be just a right-wing echo chamber. That'd be my guess. Well, we already have a left-wing echo chamber, and that's all big tech. So, yeah. Parler actually had people from all sides, and they're duking it out. To me, their biggest problem was that they didn't have any censorship whatsoever of, like, you know, they, they, uh, of, of violent speech or, you know, there was, it was a, a complete wild west free for all. And, you know, it wasn't a pleasant place to be at. I, I don't miss going on there for the month that I did. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what truth social or whatever is going to look well, like. Well, maybe we'll it's see, a start, but, you know, I mean, because I, yeah. I was, uh, for my other show interviewing this guy 
who is a very interesting dude. It's to- totally off subject, but uh, Jason Jeter. And he's in the Texas Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. He used to ride Bronken Bucks on the Pro Rodeo circuit. Had a great career. Uh, and now is really into long-range shooting, international hunting, and uh, is always posting pictures of guns and bourbon and cigars. And he had uh, 44,000 followers on his page. And it just got deleted overnight by Instagram with no explanation. And it was a week after that big, uh, that big, I guess, screw up where they had all three of their platforms down for like eight hours. Right. Whether they say it was hacked or whatever. I think it was just internal, internal meeting of, Hey, how do we start getting rid of all this conservative? The purge, the purge. Yes. It was the beginning of the purge. And then next thing you know, he's purged. (laughs) So I don't know. And and then I get the thing last week saying how my account's going to be disabled. Because I said I'd let Henry shoot a deer. Can't say the word shoot or a deer on uh, their platform anymore. So we'll see how truth social works out. But coming soon, I think maybe even like November, they said launch date. Oh, wow. Really? That's soon? Yeah. I think maybe that's like the beta. They'll let certain people on and then it'll be available for everyone else. Beginning of uh, uh, first quarter of 2022. I'm reading it right now. Yeah. So. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, ha- having outlets that aren't pushing a leftist agenda seems uh, good, but it I don't think it's going to go one step towards, like, actually healing the division in this country. And, uh, and I, you know, the less that we're, I don't know, man. I, Ashley I'm not even looking about, at it like that. I think social media is, is the, a big component of why we're divided so i'm looking at it as more of uh yes it, it it's just a place for people who are expelled or um, shadow banned off of the other platforms to have a place to and for me i'm looking at it as like a business standpoint like hey i want to keep growing my business and they're not letting me do that on their platforms anymore sure so you know for it for business owners that have conservative values i think it hopefully is an outlet outlet for us anyway. Yeah, hopefully it works for that. But yeah, that social is- media is the devil, dude. It really is. That's for sure. Uh, well, so what did you want to get to? I only have one other thing, but I'll bring it up at the end of the at the end of the show. Yeah, two fairly quick things that we've talked about in the past, um, and I uh, are, are reasons I believe for optimism that we can stave off the revolution for. At least till 2024, um, the NSBA, that's the National School Board Association. I believe that's their formal name. The National School Board Association was the group that sent a letter to the Biden administration and the Department of Justice asking them to uh, sick the FBI on parents who were making, quote, threats of violence and to use the Patriot Act. It specifically said in their letter they wanted to use the Patriot Act to go after these parents as domestic terrorists and domestic mm-hmm. violent extremists. And then like the very next day, the uh, attorney general Merrick Garland issued that letter that we've gone and read part of where they do just that and talk right. about how, how they're going to train school boards across the country to know what constitutes a threat, which should give everybody some pause. Cause we should know what a threat is versus what just a pissed off parent is. And, 
Uh, if the federal government's thinking they're going to step in and start defining threat of violence, knowing that the left considers words themselves violence, that means there's a lot of new domestic terrorists on the horizon. Mm. Anyway, the backlash against that, two things on this. One uh, article came out over the weekend, which I'll track down, that actually sh- demonstrated, proved that Garland and the White House staff were working on this with that board before the letter came out. So wow. this was a coordinated crock of shit aimed at tamping down parents who are angry with hard left crap being taught in schools, um, which explains why he was so prompt and like armed and ready to fire back as soon as they sent their letter. Right. That seemed too coincidental to me. I think you also spliced into that one episode because we forgot where Merrick Garland's son-in-law owns a company that sells critical race theory teaching materials Zian? to schools. Isn't his name Zian or Zan? Or yeah, Zan. Something. His name is Alexander, and he goes by Zan. Yeah. Uh, they're also, their biggest package, their biggest service, is they do surveys of kids and collect personal data on them and compile it, which they mm-hmm. can then, quote, use to make education better, which they're really just using to sell to somebody because the most valuable thing in the world these days is our personal preferences on stuff anyway uh the point is the uh school board association actually issued an apology in the last three or four days for labeling these parents as domestic terrorists and for bringing up the patriot act uh so that seems like progress it seems like they got a uh expectable uh just you know avalanche of appropriate and i suppose <laughs> nine non-violent not non-threatening uh fury uh probably from all corners of the country mm-hmm. so again reason for optimism it's you know the same thing as southwest airlines sort of stepping up and then all of a sudden company after you know it, just all across the country you've got this uprising um against these vaccine mandates right it just takes people saying i'm not putting up with this crap and being willing to have the balls to say it for these bullies, dude, it's the same thing we've been Not taught just since have we the were balls little to kids, say man. it, but actually risk your livelihood. Oh, don't get me wrong. Big, big, huge balls. Like, yeah, big, big, yeah. what these people have done has been uh, outstanding and uh, it deserves the highest praise and, and respect and admiration. Um, but what, I mean, what have we been taught since kindergarten about how to deal with the bully? Right. Punch him. Right. Right. Stand your ground. Do it one time and the bully stops bullying. That's how these leftist bully douchebags work stand your ground against them you know make the argument till you're blue in the face and eventually they'll just find some other chaos to sow to distract you so they can slip back in the back door and go back to whatever the hell they were up to but so we we got to keep fighting it we kept my brother's daughters uh this weekend and um when he came to pick them up i forgot how we got on the topic but he was mad because um he said that his the four-year-old twins, Lucy and Blaze, came home and were talking to him about how two women can be married. They're four years old. He was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I've never told you anything about this. He's like, no, we learned it at school. So they're like in not even, what, not even kindergarten. Yeah, fourth, four years old. They're in pre-K. Yeah, Pre-K. And, but it, like, they go to public school. It's a pre-K. And this is what they're teaching them. And so he was, and I said, well, are you going to go to the next school board meeting? He goes, no, they do them virtual so that parents can't go and raise L. 
So they're already, that's the next step is now the, the school board meetings are virtual. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, the, I'm just seeing it firsthand within my family. Like he is pissed off about it. He has no recourse because what are they going to do? If you virtually, you need to be there in person raising hell. Not violently, but just raising hell saying, hey, this, you is know, well, acceptable. the next step though. So that, so that the hell's been raised, right? And America's woken up to what's going on. I was listening to somebody make it. Oh, I think it was Glenn Beck talking about this. The next step is that conservative-minded parents and people in these communities need to step up and run for those jobs. Because the problem is the average American, quote, conservative, and not even necessarily like a real Republican conservative, but just, dude, there are lots of liberals that are showing up at these things that are just as pissed off as a conservative is because they don't believe in teaching their kids that, you know, a kid born white is automatically, you know, incurably, you know, evil because of <laughs> something that happened, you know, hundred, a hundred plus years ago. There's people from all across the political spectrum that aren't down with these things. The point is reasonable people in these communities who have day jobs and who are working their tails off have got to find a way to step up and try to run for those jobs because it's been dominated. Local politics have been dominated school, something, especially something like the school board, which I think the average American probably dismissed as like mostly working on budgets and like, you know, what, who the vendor is in the cafeteria, right? Not realizing so much how much these people were pushing these curriculum. Yeah. These curriculums based on these political ideologies um, that, that that has been unveiled for the world to see and the only way to fix it is to vote some of those jerks out and that's why i'm a firm believer in the idea that politics should and must start locally especially if you're conservative right Mm -hmm. we shouldn't pay five percent of our attention on an annual basis to whatever the happen whatever the hell is happening in washington dc but we should be paying a lot of attention to who's running for school board and city council and mayor and none of us walk into the voting booth none of us a lot of us, when we go vote in November every year, every other year, or whatever, don't have a clue about the names on the ballot at the local level. That's bad. We should know more about the people in our communities running for these jobs than we do about Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I don't know a single person on those things. Or I'm saying, like, neither yeah. do I. I'm just like, uh, conservative, check, 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 check. Okay. And they probably usually lose. <clears throat> anyway um okay last one i had yep the national institute of health which we should all be familiar with by now Mm -hmm. it's where dr fuhrer fauci works fuhrer that's right uh has admitted that they had sent money to eco health alliance that eco health alliance was conducting what can only be defined as gain-of-function research and they've kind of just discovered that here in the last, like, uh, well, I don't know, a few weeks or maybe the last couple of months. They've been doing a little bit of auditing, digging back through some things and been like, oh, hey, yeah, all these books that are being written about how we've been funding Gainer Research and all these incredible articles by uh, guys like Josh Rogan from the, uh, actually from the Washington Post, uh, who've kind of had us pegged on this for like, you know, two years almost now. Yeah, they, mm. they might have been, they might have been right. They might have been right. Might have been. But we didn't mean to do it. We didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. And yeah. Yeah. So so Fauci is a liar. We've already known that. The NIH is trying to sweep it under the rug now by admitting, oh, yeah, well, it turns out it's true. But 
yeah, we didn't do it knowingly. It, it just sort of was, it was an accident. It kind of just happened. Oh, uh, well, back in like July, Dr. Fauci, when Senator Rand Paul was whipping his ass from pillar to post in a Senate hearing, actually admitted that they were taking bat coronaviruses and making them more potent and more infectious to humans. Um, so he knew about it then. And then there's this email from like February 2020 where he was asking a subordinate to dig into a report, the very report that Senator Rand Paul was relying on, asking him to dig into that report about the title of which was coronavirus gain of function dot PDF. That, that kind of indicates maybe y'all didn't just figure this out. Maybe. I mean, it seems like maybe y'all had an idea like before any of the rest of us even knew what coronavirus was. Yeah. COVID-19 was. But anyway, again, something to be optimistic about. Ashley had said this a little while back and I've heard others say it since then, but she had said it to me first that she thought that all the truth would finally kind of be admitted five, seven, eight, nine years down the road. And I've heard some other, uh, you know, podcast politicos say sort of the same thing that when we're on booster around 300. <laughs> exactly, dude. And when nobody even cares anymore, uh, that this stuff will eventually all be commonly understood. But, you know, by then it's kind of too late. Hell, they already use it to tank a sitting president and, uh, you know, the world economy with it and to build back better and great resets and da da da. But the good thing is they're admitting it now. So there's some progress. <laughs> but why isn't, why doesn't every American know this? Dude, I think a whole lot more do than don't. A whole lot more. But there are definitely people who only watch. You CNN think, a whole, you no think more Americans right now today know this story that you're talking about and that Fauci lied and it's now been caught once again lying? I doubt it. I bet. So the most doesn't know in the other room right now. I'm looking at her. She has no idea that the the NIH admitted it or that that Fauci admitted admitted that he that they lied about it. Okay, but she's certainly aware that there are documents showing that the NIH was funding gain of function. Right. Or does she not even know that? And she's in the medical field. I just don't like going back to the going back to the the thing about women. (laughs) They don't care. It's true. She you know, she's folding laundry right now. They don't care. They got shit to do. Dang it. I cussed. <laughs> yeah, but she, I think but, you, just, you said F-bomb. You yeah, said you wouldn't okay. say an F-bomb, so you're still clean. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong about most, but the current polling average... Most should know, but they don't. Most absolutely should know, because every news organization that dares to call itself a news organization should be reporting on this, and that's not happening. Um, 52% of Americans are now disapproving of the job Biden is doing according to like every poll on in America and only 42% uh, believe he's doing a good job. And that leaves 10% undecided. I would imagine that those 52% are f- pretty damn aware that, uh, that this virus came from a lab and that we were funding said lab to do the exact type of research that led to the virus. But hmm. maybe, maybe I'm wrong. 52% is not a hundred percent, which is what it should be. Right. Right. Uh, so the last thing that I have uh, as we wrap up this portion of the presentation, and then we're going to transition to sports, I think talk sports for a minute, but um, former badass all around football player, Herschel Walker is yeah. gaining steam as he's trying to run for the Georgia Senate bid 
uh, GOP Senate bid in uh, 2022. And we all know, you and I covered in great detail, just the S show that was the the Georgia, uh, what they, they had to do a re-race or whatever, whatever because yeah, the incumbent didn't get the 50% he had to stay in power and blah, blah, blah. We had the two dumpster fires win, including the African-American pastor who's pro-abortion. Weird deal there. But uh, yeah, so uh, what everything I've read, I've been following this ever since Herschel said he wanted to run. Most GOP senators were pretty like hesitant about that. Like, didn't really think he was a good candidate. They, well, didn't think he could win was the main reason why. But he's black and he's in Georgia. Pretty good odds. We just saw what happened with um, what's the pastor's name that won? Uh, Warnock. Warnock. Raphael Warnock. Warnock. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I to me he'd be the, a perfect candidate. Yeah, man. If you um, want, you know, I, and it's not just because he's. It, it's been proven that a, a black, a underqualified African American can win. <laughs> it's true. It, uh, let's call a spade a spade. The guy was a pastor. He wasn't a senator. Well, yeah. And Herschel Barack, Walker's no more senator. That you know, he's a football player. I think Barack Obama's first election win was Senate, and he sat there for less than a. Six, you know, for two years of a six-year term and got himself elected president. So there were a lot of people who said the same thing about him back in the day. Yeah. Um, I'd be a little worried that doesn't he? Isn't, isn't Herschel Walker bipolar? And have some I don't know about serious, that. Uh, but yeah, the thing that would be the most concerning would be he, you know, his allegiance to Trump. Like and people be like calling him a Trumper and all this that, and the other. But I don't know. It'll be it'll be fascinating to watch how the left reports on him and turns him into this uh, anti-African-American scapegoat when he runs. Disassociative identity disorder is what uh, Herschel Herschel suffers from, um, which is actually what I think people used to sort of call. But aren't we in a point in time now where we celebrate the people that come out and say that they yeah, um, mental health issues. All these articles on here say how great it is that a man with who's like, you know, confronted and acknowledged his mental health issues uh, could could you know run for senate. So yeah, maybe that's going to be, you know, he's um in in the oppression Olympics. He's a black man, so there's a plus. Except he's a man, so there's a minus. So now he's still back to zero, right? And then uh, to your point, he's a conservative black man who I think that gives him like a negative three. Right. Because nobody hates liberals don't hate anybody more than they hate conservative black people in particular, you know, in general and black men in particular. Uh, well, it didn't work out for the last African-American that ran. He got an egg thrown at him by an Antifa <laughs> person in a gorilla suit. Yeah, but that wasn't a racial crime. Just just wait till the Atlanta Journal Constitution labels Herschel Walker, the white face of black supremacy. Right. <laughs> Jeez. Um. But anyway, so well, I like Herschel Walker, so I hope he wins. Yeah, same. He'd be, what did you did you want to talk about sports? Yeah, well, I think I specifically wanted to talk. I have been kind of wanting to just like spend ten minutes talking about how awesome the Cowboys are, but it's probably more important uh, to talk about that kids in sports thing I texted you about. Yeah, um, you said you had a good story. I'll share first. It wasn't a good story for Stella, but I mean, it's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your Stella story and then I'll. Yeah, so 
the girls are playing on this high profile club soccer team now and and it was only because you know they're playing rec and they're running rough shot over the competition scoring four and five goals a piece every game and they're winning 15-0 and i'm like there's no point in this anymore if you want to keep playing <laughs> I, I will gladly pay the hundred dollars a month per kid whatever it is for you to get on a club soccer team and get the practice twice a week all this all this stuff you know okay well they they've been playing for six months on this team and they've gotten better um but they're playing against girls that have been playing together on a club team for two years now and so they they got drilled nine nothing last week and then this weekend they're losing like 10-0 and stella volunteers to play goalie for the second half they don't have a goalie they're playing seven on seven now instead of four on four. So now there's a goalie. The kids are trying to learn positions and she hasn't know what she never played goalie. They don't practice it at practice. Nothing. She just puts on the penny, go stands in the goal. And like in two minutes has had five goals scored on her. And she's the tears are just coming down her face. Like it's all her fault. And then one time she gets, picks the ball up, sets it down. And I don't know if she thought she was supposed to, it was like a goal kick or something. Well, the, the Girl on the other team just runs up, takes the ball, and kicks it in the goal and starts and scores again. And she's like, Oh, you know, she thinks all of this is the world's coming to an end. And it's her fault. And she's never done this position before. And they're playing on an indoor field with the glass raised up so high. So the parents can't yell at the kids. So I go around and like going through the side and like, like giving her a hey. I said, Have you ever played this position before? No. I said, Then stop crying. It's okay. You know? I said, you're the goalie. If the ball gets shot at you, it's because your team didn't didn't do well enough to prevent that. You know, if it yeah. goes through your legs, then you can cry. Okay, but this is <laughs> this isn't your fault, Stella. I'm trying to give her, you know, the the in game pep talk is the world's ending for my six year old daughter. <laughs> right. So I don't know. It was like one of those moments of when does this competitive and it's not just soccer. It's club baseball now. You want to Henry wants to play baseball and soccer. If he if he he's doing club soccer. If he wants to do baseball, then it's an out-of-town baseball tournament every weekend. You know, and these traveling teams, they barely even play in leagues anymore. And, you know, it, it never ends. And when we were kids, I'm sure you played multiple sports. I played multiple sports. It wasn't a job, dude. It was fun. Right. And I don't know where, where's that line of demarcation and where this becomes something that was fun for them, that they were having success at a rec level. And now it was a job that they're expected to perform at a high level three times a week at practice and games. And it, I don't know. I, I don't know when it, when it sucks the fun out of it for him. I would say if the pressure on your six-year-old, six I don't know, man. She could have been playing rec. And if she, you know, playing goalie for the first time was just getting drilled on, she, she wasn't crying because the coach was chewing her ass out no. or her teammates were angry, right? She was crying because she wasn't – doing good at it and she's used to doing yeah. good at it and that could have happened if you'd have thrown her in goal in the other other league she was in right um at the same time i'm sensitive to everything else you just said because yeah you know part of me wants club. to yank them out of club and put them back on the rec team and just let them score five goals a game again but but that's not i mean that's not really i don't know it's a weird thing being a parent and yeah you want your kid to have this this level of success and they've proven they can do it on the the elementary level well okay let's take it up a notch but is taking it up a notch still fun for them some days it looks like it's not yeah that's kind of almost exactly where i wanted to go with all this for me it's like when and how do you push 
uh, and you know, and encourage your kid to grow versus like you said, just letting a game be fun. I know like I, I coached, uh, I think it was, I think it was four through six year olds. And, uh, when we were in the woodlands, the, uh, you ever heard of upward, upward mm. sports? Yeah, it was, it was upward soccer. It's like a Christian based, you know, tiny kid soccer deal. Like you were saying, no goalies, you know, it was made very clear from day one in a little coaches meeting that, you know, the goal every week is to get all your kids to play, mm. right? Make sure they all get playing time. They don't even keep score, but you know, everybody kind of knows how many goals are going in. Right. Right. Um, I'm not down with the, everybody gets a ribbon thing like you, but in four to six year olds. Yeah, dude, scores don't matter. You know, I mean, I'll say this having a four, a, a, an age range of four to six, I immediately realized was just ridiculous because you just described Frankie and Stella crushing it four and five goals a game as six year olds. Dude, a four year old is a totally different creature than a six year old. Like the, the difference between a four and a half year old and a five year old from maturity, from physical ability is so tremendous to go from four to six. It's like, you know, there were some boys who were fast and coordinated and could, could fire shots. Right. And then these four-year-olds are just, they're, they're just standing there. They're not even running with the herd. Like they're, mm-hmm. they don't know that we're playing a game, right? Like they're just out there. Anyway, there was this one team in particular that had this redheaded kid that was really good, really good. And we go up against them. And, uh, and he scores like six goals in the first two minutes, just takes the ball, run down, runs down the, you know, we were playing indoors, run down, runs down the court, shoots it, score back to the, you know, face off, does it again over. So the guy on the other side pulls him and immediately my best little six-year-old starts doing the same thing back our direction. He lets us get about four goals in and he puts redhead kid back in. And I looked over him and I was like, I don't remember what I said. I said something to him and he tried to try to just like blow me off, but it was just, you know, like, Oh, tables turned a little bit. And instead of, <laughs> instead of getting that, instead of getting the kid in, who's slightly cross-eyed and picking his nose, you had to go back to, to the redheaded kid. Huh? <clears throat> and, uh, I don't think there's a cross-eyed kid, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So been down that road. Um, I would say, I would say that if they're good at it and they enjoy it, um, like, ha, ha, did it work? Did you go coach her and you know tell her to it was gonna be okay? And did it work? Did she stop crying? And yeah, she stopped crying. Yeah. And then after the game, we obviously talked about about it, and she said, "I don't ever want to play goalie again." Meanwhile, Frankie played goalie in the first half, her twin sister, and she let in eight goals, and she was all smiles and was like, oh, "I like goalie a lot." <laughs> I was like, that's because you are lazy and you don't want to play in the field. I know why you want to play goalie, but if you could be good at it, then and you like it, then you don't have to run. Then maybe that's that's the spot for you. Yeah, each one of them are so unique, right? Like that's one thing you learn as soon as you have your second kid is like, oh, this is a whole different, it's a whole different animal, mm-hmm. literally. Um, I I think it's all about how you parent through it, right? I'll tell you this. If I had them in a league at seven years old where the coach was a real pain in the ass and it was like win at all costs and they were acting like every game was the damn, you know, World Cup finals, uh, I wouldn't pay for that. 
at that age. No, right? We're not results focused. Like we're getting drilled and we know we're getting drilled and that's okay. And and we went into it knowing, hey, the first season or two might be pretty rough as far as like results go. It, who cares? Yeah, they're to a, get to grow their skills, to to become better players and athletes. It's a fine line because there's definitely a point at which, and, and this is where I'm at with my almost 13-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. And I do think that's a totally different my kid's twice your kid's age, right? Yeah. The ones we're talking about anyway, the girls. There's a line, a fine line between encouraging them to step the game up in order to get better. Because your point, I know, was there's no competition in this little league for my kids. They're pretty good. You were a really, really good soccer player, right? So not surprising they'd be athletic. And <clears throat> so, you know, you, you want them to always – you you don't you know you don't want them to just dominate and get lazy and it not be a challenge and then not learn from it right at the same time there's got to be an age at which it's hard to get them to see the forest for the trees and you risk pushing them out of something that they might get a lifetime of enjoyment out of if they didn't get their head stomped in at six seven eight years old and right. decide it wasn't fun right so yeah that's a tough one um, we just didn't do a whole like we did. Our kids didn't do a whole lot of uh, sports at those ages. They did that soccer. Each of them did soccer for a little bit. They've done some gymnastics. They've done some dance. Um, you know, we never were in facing the situation where. Well, I'll, I'll give you a, an example of how it's changed from from my personal experience. Growing up in the Dallas area, which is a soccer hotbed in the United yeah. States, it's like one of the top five um, amateur soccer development areas and when when you could play club soccer for the first time was fifth grade fifth grade so how old how old is a kid in fifth grade yeah henry charles is fifth grader 11 11 years old 10 11 yeah these kids now are playing academy soccer at four five years old. that's just stupid that's stupid and and it's like and and here's the catch-22 as a parent if your kid shows uh you know a level of competence or athleticism on the on the recreational level that's above average you're left with the the choice which we had to make of okay now we either go to club or we get left behind that's the thing you, right. if, you, if you don't do it now they can't just jump in at 10 years old and, and be on a level playing field it's too late and that's the shit that's the crappy thing is like you have to do it at such a young age or you miss the boat for sure, I know it, it does suck. Um, I think fifth we're grade. About- I, I started playing in fifth grade. That's just that yeah. was the that was the norm then, and now it's I don't know. Yeah, I think it's. I'm gonna face something similar because Charlotte's finally wants to give softball a try, and she's a fifth grader. And to your point, there was a time. I mean, I don't know. T-ball was always something you started playing in like first grade, I think, when we were kids. But she'll have a stiff steep learning curve and most of the girls will probably have already played a couple few years of softball but we'll give it a shot see if she likes it um i do know that so to get to sort of my anecdote um it seems to me that middle school junior high is an age at which they should start picking what they're into and you should start trying to get them to be the best they can be at it right yeah whether that's a college scholarship or whether that's just hoping to make varsity one day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's our goal. Is if they want to play varsity sports, you know? Yeah. Here's the here's what we can do to help you 
reach that potential if that's right. what you want to do frankie likes gymnastics i don't know maybe that's what her thing is but they do soccer tuesday thursday the girls for an hour practice and then they do gymnastics on wednesday and frankie's always like oh soccer practice he's like i want to go to gymnastics yeah so yeah so maybe they'll have different things and um i know i i don't want to push him into doing stuff that i want him to do right mm-hmm. i made a mistake i didn't push her she thought she wanted to do it uh when riley was probably 10 uh maybe nine junior olympic the junior olympic archery development league jo- joad starts at eight so she was probably like nine when we went into it one day we were talking about her plan maybe soccer again and she's like i want to try archery and of course you know me i was like yeah sweet and this is when i was like eyeballs deep in all things archery all the time so dove off into it got her a little recurve uh olympic style recurve got her into the joad program there in the woodlands and man she's really good like she's a tall kid always has been um i just had like visions of getting her into the olympics to shoot archery right like, for sure like that's that's where we're gonna head right and you know we'd go to these little shoots across you know we went to one in corpus in particular i think it was the last one we shot and i couldn't help like she'd be pounding a you know baseball size you know bullseye basically all week every arrow in a in the size of a baseball right and then she'd go to the shoot and you know be all over the place and with a it's kind of like a golf swing archery right where it's like you do this very specific and repetitive thing and when you get the shanks you don't know what uh, you know that scene from 10 cup where he's like i feel like you know, my swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair like you just don't know how to work it right it's just everything and so i don't know what to tell her to do different and i'm annoyed and frustrated because i don't feel like she's quote trying i did not do it. it was a dad fail epic epic dad fail <laughs> We drove her, I drove her out of archery quite quickly. At the same time, <laughs> I kind of think she wanted to do it because I was into it, right? Uh-huh. And she wanted to do something that dad would dig. In the background, in the meantime, she was always into horses, right? So she just sort of turned on a dime and she's full blown into horses. And that's her thing. And it's clearly her thing. And it's always going to be her thing. So, you know, she enjoys working at it. She enjoys getting better at it. She never gets discouraged by it, you know? Um, and she's learning some great lessons about work ethic and everything. Yeah. Anyway, last year she started sixth grade at a new school and the, uh, you know, they're just running during PE and she starts getting approached by the coaching staff, the high school, um, the high school track coach had seen her running and went to the middle school track track coach and was like, you need to get that girl in the track program. Right. She's, she's got a great stride. She's fast. I taught her how taught him when they were little bitty had to truly run on their toes. And so, you know, she's not like flat foot, just like slapping the ground. Anyway, all fall semester, I was like, you should run track, Riley. You got coaches coming and telling you to run. They're recruiting you to the track team. Like you should do that. Give it a shot. She's like, I don't want to take time away from horses, blah, 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 blah. And it was something she was naturally gifted at. And she would come home bragging about how somebody asked her to run. But then I'd say, so you should run. And she'd be like, no. So I could tell, like, I could partly tell she was at least interested in it, right? She enjoyed running. 
she finally towards the end of the semester she's like i'm somebody came to her and like you know i don't know what terms they put it in but she came home and ran like three times up the hill in front of our house and she was like i'm gonna run track next year sweet then fast forward to february and she has like literally uh, it's like in a panic attack almost about running because now it's go time right and i may have talked about this even on the show but we sat upstairs and went through a whole bunch of bible verses about worrying because she was just freaking out like stressing out about not having enough time to keep her grades up to see her horse and also run so we went through all these bible verses about not worrying right and i explained to her that you know this worrying what are you actually worried about you're worried about time you're spending time worrying so you're wasting time you're actually worrying and therefore wasting the very thing you're worried about right like that doesn't that doesn't help. Don't worry about how you'll get from point A to point B to point C. That's mom and I's job. We'll make right. sure you still get to go to the horse. We'll make sure you get to class on time. You just do whatever the thing is when we get you to the thing. Don't worry about any of this other stuff. I know why we talked about it because she had this brilliant insight where she was like reading through all these Bible passages. She's like, so if we're worried, then we're not doing whatever God is God made us to do. And I was like, oh, bingo, right? So anyway, she jumped in the team and loved it pretty much right off the bat first meet they have her in the 800 and i think the 200 and 800 was her first race and she takes off on the first quarter and she's like 60 or 70 yards in front of everybody which showed how fast she was but i was like this is not going to be good sure enough the second lap she's you know just cratering and i think finished in fourth or whatever several kids sucked her up and passed her uh and then she was gassed for the 200 so we had like five track meets or whatever throughout the spring semester and each one she got much much better she you know learned how to pace herself but then it was like she was overpacing herself right but she would go from like eighth to third uh through the course of a 400 or an 800 or whatever and they threw her in the mile and she was freaking out about running the mile but then the very first race she again she goes from like eighth to like second and runs a 720 or something like that and, you know, you could tell it was clear as day. She could have run the whole thing harder. She just, she took that lesson from that first race of gassing herself on the first lap mm-hmm. and like over, over corrected for it. Right. So all throughout the season, it's like, okay, much better. You've learned how to pace yourself. What you have to learn to do is push your pace. Cause you can run faster. She would let the first, you know, half the pack would get out in front of her and she would run with the second pack. And I was like, you need to get up there and run with the front pack. Cause then you can't, you're not going to be able to chase down the lead dog if you start from the backpack and then, so the next race, she did that and finished, she might've won that race. Um, and then there was the second to last race of the season before district. She ran, she took, she won the mile. She won the, no, maybe that was the district meet. She had three races that day. She, I think won the 800 and then an hour later ran the 400. Maybe she was second in the 800. Yeah, she was. She ran the 400 and she was gassed because she hadn't eaten anything since breakfast. And she was just like, she could barely run the 400. So I went to her and I was like, you got to get some food in your girl before you run this mile. Right. So she had a little, you know, carbon sugary snack and was, she ran a 643 in one district in the mile. It was awesome because she was so coachable the whole way, you know, like she would take the points I was making and the coach was making and you, you know, the next week she would do those things. It was really, really awesome. So then this, so my kids will grow into that right now. They just resent any kind of coaching. Well, that, uh, yeah, hold on. I'm, <laughs> I'm about to get to that part. 
she's coachable, but she will also feel like I'm being critical when I'm trying to give her advice. Right. And I remember as a kid myself playing like junior high football, I could have like 12 tackles. And after the game, my dad was telling me about all these things I screwed up. Right. I was just like, God dang, dad, I'd had 12 tackles. Can't you just give me a pat on the back? Jeez. I don't remember how he actually did it, but I never really felt like there was a balance of you're really good at this. Here's how you could be better. Right. For him, he wanted to keep my ego in check. At least that's how I remember it in retrospect. And I'm trying to tell myself I'm doing a better job than he did. Right. I don't know. That's how it always felt was that there wasn't ever this carrot and stick approach. It was just like, I'd come home bragging to him and he'd be telling me, no, you kind of sucked actually. <laughs> uh, where with her. So this, this fall she ran cross country. And again, I had to damn near force her to do it, but she did it. And again, she had a blast. She loves the team aspect. She's really good. You know, I think she finished 20th out of 60 something in the first race. Um, 25th, maybe just inside the top half. Uh, then she made like the top third, but after, so this was four races this year, two miles each race. And the first three of them, man, she'd get to the finish line. She ran a 1548 two weeks ago, crosses the finish line and isn't even breathing hard. Like not even miles on a two mile run. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just not even needing to catch her breath. She's talking to her coach and I at the finish line and there's girls finishing that are like, you know, beat red and bent over completely bent over, like about to fall down. Right. And she's just Mm. fine. You know, so we're just like, yeah, it was pretty good. But her coach and I both, the first thing out of our mouths was you should be breathing harder. Right. Like what what are we doing here? You know? And so driving home, I kind of start telling her, you know, you, I guarantee you left a minute out there. Dad, can't you just wait till tomorrow to criticize? Can't, you know, can't we just be like, I improved my time by 20 something seconds. And I was like, well, she had asked, right? She'd asked, had to, you know, ask me something. And I told her the truth. And I go, Riley, you asked my opinion. I'm going to give you my honest opinion. I'm not just going to blow smoke up your butt. And no, tell I'm you here to that, baby you. Yeah. That, oh yeah. You ran your tail off when I know you didn't. Cause you couldn't, you know, cause you could still talk after the end of the run. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, anyway, at one point I explained to her, I was like, Riley, I'm not being critical. I'm telling you, you can be better because I know you can, because I believe in how talented you are. And I've watched you run. And she like almost started crying when I said it that way. Right. So it's all about very specifically how you communicate. And I think especially with girls, um, but having to tell her, like, I'm trying to help you get better at this. I, there's no doubt you can get better at this. You've only done it three times. Like yeah. there's only up to go. Right. And if you don't let me and your coach, coach you on how to get there then then you won't but the biggest thing you need to do now is just not be afraid to suffer a little bit because you know running two miles as hard as you can is going to suck that's all there is to it but it's only going to suck for 15 minutes right and then and then the whole rest of the day you're going to feel like you're on a cloud because you'll have a you'll know you gave it everything you got and b that creates what's called endorphins which is an amazing like you know brushed body feeling right trying not to use Mm -hmm. the word high obviously <clears throat> anyway so the last couple of weeks we'd had this sort of deal where i was trying to push her to leave it all on the track right there was these uh i kind of love this cross-country community man like there's this one school that has these shirts that say that say we do hard things which i just dig 
on a personal model level and this other school had a shirt the first track meet that said the first cross-country meet that said uh 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 finish on empty you know so i was kind of trying to bang some of these mottos into her head like there's no reason to even show up and run this race if you're not going to finish gagging and you know just falling down and seeing spots like let's let's go all out here so on the way home last week i had her watch uh this video do you know david goggins is Mm -mm. david goggins is a former navy seal um he wrote a book a couple years ago that he's like a hardcore motivational speaker now Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was like 18 years old, he weighed 300 and something pounds and he said he couldn't walk to the end of his street God and bless. ended up, yeah, going through Navy SEAL training, going through Ranger school. Uh, now he runs the hundred and 200 mile ultra marathons. He's one of the, uh, he wore, ho- holds the Guinness book of records for the most pull-ups. It, dude's just huh. a beast, man. And, uh, you want to get fired up, go to Goggins's Instagram and watch any one of his videos. And he does a lot of cussing. <laughs> Thankfully, thankfully the article, the interview I found for, he didn't do so much of that, but, um, he has this thing he calls the 40% rule. And this is not, I mean, I don't know what the actual figure is, but it's pretty well understood, right? That the vast majority of people never reach when it comes to physical exertion, especially he says 40% of their actual potential because, you know, biologically, evolutionarily speaking, you have a mental governor that keeps you from overexerting yourself. Right. And Mm -hmm. people don't like pain. Right. It's like, you got to figure out how to just, you know, remove that governor. So I had her listen to all that. And like I said, sort of press this idea that it's 15 minutes. Show, you know, show yourself that you can endure anything for 15 minutes. Right. And talked about it a couple of times throughout the week on Saturday, she gets out there. Run starts at eight 30. It's the district championships. And she's like locked in, right. She's ready to run. We talk a little bit about, you know, I told her on this one, do not let the front of the pack get away from you. Get yourself in the front pack. Stay with the front pack as long as you possibly can. And if you've got anything left at the end, then kick at the end. But don't do what you've done every other race, which is jog, essentially, right, at like an eight-minute pace the first lap, first mile. Yeah, they're usually like one-mile kind of snaky laps through uh, out behind the school or whatever. And... So the gun goes off and she, well, her, she's got one girl on the team with her. That girl up shows up being like, I don't want to do this, uh, man. I really don't want to do this. This is going to suck. I pulled Riley aside and I was like, do don't you think that girl, I said, do you think she's got the right attitude today? And she goes, no, I was like, you should try to help her with that. She's like, yeah, I am. Anyway, they get on the line, take off that girl beat her best time, but, um, they take off and Riley, they, they left from the baseball field from like left field. That was the start line. And they went out the right field corner gate by the right field foul pole. So before they got to that gate, she's in the top 10 mm-hmm. and trucking. Right. So it's like, she had listened and done exactly what I said again, like got up there with the front pack. Right. Hauls butt through the first lap. And I'm, she told me like what she does when she starts to feel cramp coming on or whatever she likes to tell herself philippians 413 right i can do all things through christ who strengthens me so i'm playing like (laughs) relay myself like run to the starting there at the exit gate i ran like across the football field to where they would you know come by and then doubled back to like the 
to home plate and then, and then back to the gate again, like this little triangle I was working to have her run by me, you know, and shouting at her greater than 40% today, greater than 40% today. You can do all things through Christ, you know? Anyway, she gets to the last uh, few hundred yards and I'm running with her and she is completely tapped. Like she's, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get her to kick. She always has this awesome kick, you know, especially those miles she was doing in the spring, but there's none, she's got nothing left. And so she went, she was in eighth place and let two girls suck her up and pass her on the, literally the last like 50 yard sprint. Uh Um, But man, when she got done, I've got this video of her just like, you know, covering her face. And then she just like falls down in a, in a, in a pile, you know, onto the ground. And I finally make my way over to her and just like hug her sitting there on the ground. And she's shaking, like just tremoring and, actually kind of i think maybe crying yeah and i was like so do you feel good or bad right now and she was like i feel awesome she's like <laughs> she goes i feel bad too and i was like good that's exactly where you should be after a two-mile race you should feel equally awesome and terrible right um anyway man like thinking back to talking to my dad after those football games and stuff i'm like trying Your dad to- left us four stars dude there you go. There you go. To keep us in check. See, I'm not wrong. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just trying to make sure to balance, like, you can do better, but you're still doing awesome. You know uh, what I mean? Yep. That's the thing. You can do better, yeah. but you're still doing. I'm still proud of you. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's that's a delicate balance. Um, it clearly meant a lot to her when I told her the only reason I keep trying to help you get better is because I believe you are and can be, you know that seemed to really work for her. So Mm. it's all about communicating, but I definitely think there's a point at which, especially if your kid's showing talent at something, they're going to need a nudge, you know? And I I know I told her, I was like, you finally scratched the surface of your potential today, Mm -hmm. you know, like, because you learned what it means for a gut check, right? Like, anyway, it was cool. It was a proud dad moment. I guess, I don't know if I've said it yet, but she ran a 1428, which I know I texted to you. Um, yeah, that's some fast walking. Yeah, yeah, she was yeah. she was getting it, and I I really do think I can't wait to see what she runs the mile in. Man, like that two, you know, training on those two miles all fall. I can't wait for the spring to see what she runs a mile in now. Do you think you could still beat her in two mile race, dude? I've been talking crap here lately. Uh, there's a 5K coming up in December for a local charity, and uh, and I'm gonna go ahead and run the half again in March, and. Uh, so I was talking about. Like, I'm thinking, crap. I think I could run two miles in 16 minutes. Like I know I could, but I'd be pushing myself. Yeah, I, I could, haven't. I, I could haven't run 16. in a while. Like for for like that kind of running, I'm still playing soccer and basketball and stuff regularly. But that would be to to do a sub 16 to two mile trek. I don't know, man. If I couldn't, it would only be because my calves gave out first. Um, it, well, I always if she, has, if she couldn't beat you today, she's gonna be whooping your butt pretty soon. Well, I'm going to have about a month of training before that 5K. So uh, I know when I trained for that marathon two years ago, um, there was a timed 5K on like week three or four of the training. And I ran, it was like a 21 something. Uh, 5K is like three, just under 3.2 miles. Yeah. It was a six something pace. Uh, I know with just a few weeks of running around the neighborhood, I could have my legs under me and I think still beat her. But my, what I was going to say was I was, jogging around with her looking at the course um just one part in particular that the map showed this like crazy s curve and uh 
she was so fired up and springy. I was having a little bit of, I was, it was eight 30 in the morning. I hadn't done anything physical yet. I was having a hard time keeping up with her, just jogging around the <laughs> jogging around, but she was amped and I was not. So that's my yeah. excuse excuse until she beats me in that 5k. Well, there it is. Our parenting successes and failures in the world of youth sports. Um, yeah. That's going to do it for episode 52 of justified pursuit. Or Chisholm Cook. I'm Cable Smith. We will see you guys next week. Push them, but not too hard. Anymore.